0: Thank you. God the Father and the awesome wisdom of the Holy Spirit, I pray that you, we will all learn something from tonight's lesson and also try and implement it into our lives. Uh, I'm going to read very shortly a few verses from the book of Daniel, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. The book of Daniel, which is, he is one of the prophets of the Old Testament about 490 years before Jesus Christ, almost 500 years before the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, in the book of Daniel is the only, I, I can say this, is the only chapter or is the only book in the Holy Bible that precisely and concisely foretells the coming of the Messiah. He gives you the day like he pinpoints when Jesus was going to be born and was going to be crucified. Pinpoints the day of crucifixion. The only book in the entire Bible that pinpoints the day of crucifixion is the book of Daniel. So, so important. And it is so relevant to our time, even though this is not our topic, by the way, it's not. But I thought I'd give you this information. It is so relevant to our time, the book the book of Daniel when the angel Gabriel came and revealed this book to Daniel, the prophet. And then he said to Daniel, go and sleep now and I will wake you at the end of times. So really the book of Daniel is for the 21st century even though it's been written 2,500 years ago. But it is for the 21st century and it's so relevant to the book of Revelation. And and some of the epistles of St. Paul, like the Epistle to the Romans, the uh, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, so, so relevant, the book of Daniel. And without the book of Daniel, we would not know some of the prophecies that are mentioned in Apocalypse or the book of Revelation. We would not know them. Anyway, we're going to read Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. Let's see what our prophet tells us this evening. Uh, eunuchs to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles young men in whom there was no blemish but good looking gifted in all wisdom possessing knowledge and quick to understand who had ability to serve in the king's palace and whom they might teach the language and literature of the chaldeans and the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's the and of the wine which he drank and three years of training for them so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king now from among those of the sons of judah were daniel hananiah mishael and azariah to them the chief of the eunuchs gave names he gave daniel the name of belshazzar to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. And glory be to our Lord Jesus Christ forever and ever. Amen. We'll give this topic a title for tonight, and we're going to call it Disciplines of a Godly Man. Disciplines of a Godly Man. What does it take to be belonging to Jesus Christ? What does it take to reflect the image of your heavenly daddy on earth? What does it take to be called godly man on earth or a man of God? They asked someone one day, they said to that person who has actually achieved a great deal of achievements in his life, they said, what is one thing that you would really have known when you were younger that you know now? What would you have really wanted to know back when you were young that you really know now? Without any hesitation, that person came back and said, I wish when I was a young man, I wish they had told me that when you get to the top, there is absolutely nothing. You didn't get it, did you? I wish if they had told me that when you get to the top, there is absolutely nothing there. And that is exactly the struggle of our generation. Everybody's trying to get to the top, regardless in what way, form, or shape I do it. But I want to be number one. I want to be the head of everyone. I want to be above everyone. But really, when you get to the top, what are you going to find there? Nothing. What is so special about being number one? Think about it. What is so special? It's just a false imagination that we carry with us. I am the same old person. When I get to the top, I don't get two heads. still have one head. Nothing changes. But one thing changes is I was misleading myself all this time. I wish that one day I'd be a multimillionaire. I wish one day I'd be a doctor. I wish one day I'd be so famous. I want to be this, and I want to be that, and I want to do this, and I want to get that. And then when you get it, what happens? You're old now. And you may not enjoy it that much. What a waste of time, energy, and effort to try and get somewhere alone without God being with you. It is an absolute vanity when I try to achieve something without the presence of the Almighty God blessing me along the way. What would you have wished to have known back then that you know now? I wish they had told me when you get to the top, there is absolutely nothing so not true. And why we chose Daniel as a as a lesson for all of us when we're talking about the disciplines of a godly man. You see Nebuchadnezzar. Is to invade Israel and one of the times that he invaded Israel he asked to bring the finest young men of the Israelite nation into his palace he wanted young men healthy extremely smart quick learners that he would bring into the palace and would then delight them with the dining of the of the kings the most powerful man on earth in the very palace of his own give them the pleasures and the treasures of that luxurious lifestyle and then throughout those three years as we read he would teach them and if I may say so brainwash them into the very culture that he wanted them to be. Teach them exactly how to be true servants for Nebuchadnezzar and to speak his language, to live his lifestyle, and to do his will, and whatever he wanted of them. Isn't it very tempting when someone so famous, someone so rich, someone so powerful gives you this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to come and serve him and to be with him and to live for him and to be also so famous. Wouldn't you want to grab that opportunity and run for your life with it? I'm sure a lot of people would. A famous singer comes, you like singing. And a famous singer comes, if you're number one in the world, I don't know who the famous singer these days are, I'm not sure, but I used to know Celine Dion and Mariah Carey and all these guys, you know, out there. And some of them are passed away, But imagine one of these famous singers would come to you out of nowhere and says, you know what, would you like to come and live in my car, in my mansion? I wanna teach you how to sing. I wanna make you famous. And you live in Fairfield, Anita City. (laughs) And they're gonna take you to Hollywood. I'll fly from Fairfield to Hollywood. I won't even wait to get to Sydney Airport. They brought four people, the finest men in the Israelite nation. One of them was Daniel. The other one was, can we go to that? uh, Daniel, Belshazzar, Hedania, Shadrach, and Mishael. Daniel, Belshazzar, Hananiah and Mishael. These names are Assyrians, by the way. And Mishael. And look! They changed their names. They changed their names. What, what if this. this uh, This chief of the eunuchs in the the king's palaces due to these names, he changed them. He made... uh, where are they? He gave these names to Daniel. He gave... Sorry, I said Daniel, Henaniah, Mishael and Isaiah. These are the four names. Daniel, uh, Mishael, Henaniah, and Isaiah. These were the four names. This guy changed them to what? He gave to Daniel, Belshazzar. He gave to Hananiah, Shadr, to Mishael, Mishak, and to Azariah, Abednego. He changed their names. By changing the name, you are changing the identity of that person. Because the name identifies you. Now, from Sargon to be called John and William, when you, when, when you invoke the name Sargon, you automatically think of an Assyrian from Iraq. But John and William, that's of the Western world. So, by changing the name, he changed their identity. He's saying to them that you should forget where you came from your history, your background, your motherland. You forget who you were, your roots. You are now a new creation. We want to remold you and reshape you to the way we want. Isn't that what the world is really doing to so many millions of people if not billions, if not billions? What is our roots? What is our origin? What is our background? What is our former country? Heaven, God is my origin. Nowadays they are saying there is no God. You are God. You can do whatever you want. But you know what Daniel said? Even though I have been put to the test and I'm being tempted here to really have this once-in-a-life opportunity to become something so powerful, someone so well-known. But you know what? I will not do what the kings want and defile myself. I will not stain myself. I will not make myself dirty. Defilement is filthiness and dirtiness. I will not do anything that is gonna defile myself. I will stick to my roots and my origin and I'm very proud of that origin. I'll take you to another story so that we can understand what this story of Daniel is all about and Daniel is every one of us in the 21st century my beloved. We are all being tempted left right and center. I'll take you to another story so we can understand where we're coming from. The Israelite nation they were led out of Egypt by the awesome power of the Almighty God through Moses his prophet his servant he led about 2 million Israelite people into the wilderness That journey from Egypt to the Promised Land, Israel, should have taken no more than four to six weeks. Should have taken no more than four to six weeks to get from Egypt to Israel. It took them 40 years to get to the Holy Land, to the Promised Land. A four-week journey, it took 40 years for these people to get where God was leading them to. You know why? Because God wanted to teach them three most important lessons of life. So I want you to pay attention now. Hmm? Pay attention. God wanted to teach them the most three important lessons in life that all of us should really learn and implement in our lives. That's why God led them to remain in that wilderness for 40 years. What is the first lesson? Humility. Second lesson, spirituality. Third lesson, faith. Humility. What is the lesson in that humility? God wanted to teach them humility to say that I wanted to look, I wanted you to look into your own hearts so that you can see your hearts the way I see your hearts. What is humility? It's for you to be able to see your heart the way God sees it. And we are able to get to that stage where we can see our hearts the way God sees it, then we will understand what humility is all about. Humility, for us to see our hearts the way God sees it, spirituality that I wanted you to learn that it is not by bread alone that a human being lives, but by every word of God that is uttered out of his holy mouth, you shall live. I let you be there for 40 years. Did you starve? No. Did you die? No. Were you fed all the time? Yes. So you need to understand that it is not only by bread You can survive, but it is really by the word of God if you make that word of God your own sustenance, your own spiritual food. That what really matters. The bread that you buy from the shops, you eat it and a very short while after you get hungry again. But the true bread that descended from heaven, as Jesus said in in John chapter 6, when you eat this bread you will live forever. And faith, faith that you wandered in the wilderness for four decades, 40 years, and I took care of all your needs and never left you desolate. I wanted to teach you faith because how did they survive in the wilderness for 40 years? Two million people almost. How did they survive if it was not the faith that got them to the shores of peace. We talk about faith, I'm a believer, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus Christ. Well, talking is easy, but you need to understand your faith in order to live it. What does it mean that when every door is shut in my face, that when everywhere I look it is dark, pitch dark, what does it mean, how do I manage, how do I really tell, teach myself on how to manage that situation? When I'm going through difficult times, that's when your faith gets tested. He wanted to teach them humility that I wanted to see your heart the way I see your heart, God says. And I wanted you to learn about spirituality that it's not only by bread you live, but by every word that is uttered from the mouth of God. And I wanted you to learn about faith, that 40 years, I just asked you the question, how did you manage to survive? Yet I gave you everything that you lacked and everything that you needed, and I never left you alone or desolate. I was with you throughout that 40 year journey till the very end of it. Now that is walking in faith. I need you to know that when you go through another troublesome time, remember the wilderness. Remember that I was with you, I never left you, I never forsaken you, and I never will. Why are you then worried, concerned, shaken, broken, living in a chaotic life and saying, I don't know what's gonna happen to me. You should know what's gonna happen to you. Absolutely nothing, because God is good. God is good nothing's going to happen but good when are we going to learn three most fundamental important lessons of life humility spirituality faith when are we going to learn them daniel is teaching us some good lessons and principles of life three things daniel drew to himself that he said i'm not going to be tempted by what this king is offering and we are not going to be tempted by what this world is offering three principles we need to draw for ourselves in order to keep ourselves spotless pure holy children of god number one daniel drew his line of resistance And how did he draw the line of resistance? By controlling his appetite. Imagine dining in the king's palace. What kind of food, what kind of beverages and alcohol is going to be served? Three years you're being taught to become a servant of Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful king on earth. What kind of first-class service you're going to be offered in that palace? And all the attachments with it, eh? not just food, brother. Satellite dishes, all these internet, um, you know what I'm talking about, huh? Eh? How did he manage to keep himself belonging to God? By drawing the line of resistance. How did he do that? By controlling his appetite. You know, the appetite in the Epistle of St. Peter, he says, He says, There are some people, their God is their tummy. Their God is their belly. Our appetites. The belly, my beloved, it is not only about food. We're not talking just about food, but it is that hunger. When you are hungry for food, what would you do? to really fulfill that hunger. How are you going to draw the line of resistance? How are you going to control yourself when you are, let's say, physically hungry? You need to fill this tummy, this belly of yours. You are starving to death, and then you smell shish kebab, brother. Are you going to go, I'm gonna sell my faith just to get that cheese kebab. I'll do anything to get it because I'm starving. This is what I'm talking about. Because we have hungers to so many different things. It is when St. Peter's talking about that there are some people, their gods, their tummy, he's talking about, yes, your appetite, your food. Because how many hours do you spend in the kitchen just to fill your tummy? How many hours do you stand at that barbecue place just to fill your tummy. And I ask you, my dear friend, a question can you last those hours in the church praying? All of a sudden, oh, I just remember the very important meeting I had. You know what? I've got a headache. I've got a sore back. I've got to go. I'm tired. But if I say there's a party on, I'm all of a sudden ta'za. So we spend hours on and on and on just to feed our tummy, But there is another appetite. We have so many hungers, my beloved. We have hungers for emotional hungers, physical hungers, intellectual hungers, relational hungers, spiritual hungers. There are so many kinds of hungers we have. We need to draw the line of resistance. For every single one of these in order to remain true children of Jesus Christ. Emotional hunger. How do I behave and act when I'm emotionally scarred, when I'm emotionally hurt, when I'm emotionally malfunctioned or malnourished? Where do I draw the line? How far do I take it? When I have the hunger for a physical lust, how far do I take it? Intellectual hunger, how far do I take it? Because if I carry on and on and on and on, I'm going to end up being an atheist. A lot of people use their heads, and the they end up with nothing. They lose their heads. Relational hungers. Where do I draw the line of resistance? In any relationship that I am, I might be in. Whether it's a marital relationship, whether it's a friendship, whether it's whatever relationship it is, where do I draw the line of resistance? I feel like belching her one. She keeps on getting on my nerves, this wife of mine. She's really tempting me to give her an abacat Typical Assyrian, big mouth. Yet he's got a bigger mouth than her. Where do we draw the line? He drew the line of resistance to say, I'm not going to be tempted by what the king is offering. All this lifestyle, all these pleasures and treasures and fame. I'm not going to give up. On who I am really and where I come from. I'm not going to forget that just because I got tempted by certain things that this life is offering. People travel from the Middle East to the Western countries. They come to Australia, they go to Europe, to America, to Canada and before we know it all of a sudden they forgot who they were. Who they really are. They forget. And sometimes they are ashamed of their origin and of their backgrounds. And even of their faith they are ashamed. Because you know what? I can't say to my friends that I'm a Christian because they laugh at me. Because most of my friends don't even believe in God let alone to believe in Jesus Christ, as being God. So I hide my faith, I hide my traditions, I hide my cultures and I just change my name because I want to be a person that blends in with this new world order. The first principle is the principle of resistance my beloved. Something to learn in life. We need to draw the line of resistance. How far do your friends take you? How far do your friends tempt you? How far are you willing to go and then let go of yourself and forget about who you are and what you are and what, what principles and values you take and carry with you? How far? The second principle, that we need to learn from Daniel the prophet is that we need to draw the line of dependence. Daniel drew the line of dependence, first of resistance, second of dependence. Now the resistance, drawing the line of resistance by controlling his appetite, his hunger. When you are really starving and you see food, are you going to forget yourself? Or can you just look at the food and wait another half an hour? Control. Control. If you can control the appetite of your tummy, you can control any other appetite. You can control the others. It takes an effort, but you can get there. You know, I know that we have some parents here. As parents we say, we always like trying to teach each other and give advice to one another. We say, don't don't ever give your children whatever they ask for. You're going to spoil them, you're going to ruin them. Don't give them whatever they want because it's not good for them. Then how about if I say that to myself, don't give myself whatever I want. Just because it feels good, it looks good, and tastes good, that's it, I'm going to take it? No, it can't. There are certain things, they are not good for you, therefore, you can take it, but it's not good for you if you do it. You need to draw a line of resistance. It can't be just an open door. The second line he drew was the line of dependence. Now, when he drew the line of dependence, what happened? You see, Nebuchadnezzar, he saw a dream. And in that dream he saw this massive statue, the head out of gold, the chest out of silver, and then the belly and the thighs out of bronze, and then the legs out of iron, and then the feet out of iron and clay mixed together. So Nebuchadnezzar when he saw this dream, and then he saw a stone cut out without the hand of man. A stone cut out without the hand of man, and this stone came and hid that statue And wiped it out of existence. So when he woke up he called upon all the sorcerers, upon all the fortune tellers, upon all the who can read the stars, magicians, you name them. He called upon all the elites of his country. He called them to the palace and he said I saw a dream and I want you to tell me what is the meaning of that dream and they tried to play smart on Nebuchadnezzar and they said, okay, uh, king, you may still live forever. Please tell us what your dream was and so that we are able to explain your dream. He said, if you can tell the future, you should know what dream I saw. I don't need to tell you what I saw. You tell me what I saw and then you explain the dream to me. No one knew what Nebuchadnezzar saw. So the word went to where? Daniel, the one who held his position very firm. I belong to Jesus. I don't belong to this world. Well, we should act like it and behave like that. So when they called Daniel to the, to the palace, he said, I saw this dream. I don't know what it means. I want you to tell me what I saw. If you worship your true God, I want you to tell me what I saw and then explain the dream to me. Daniel drew the line of dependence. He went into his room. He bowed and prayed to the Almighty God, begging him to reveal the King's dream to him. The line of dependency leads you to wisdom, my beloved. When you depend on God in your life, God will give you wisdom. To manage that life. When you are put in a situation do you pray about it or do you just try to do it with your smart head? Who do you seek? Who do you remember first? Who do you go to number one? Who comes to your mind number one when you are put in a situation? Does God come just like that naturally number one or someone or it's like who wants to be a millionaire Can I use the line and call someone, please, to help me? (laughs) When I get put in a situation, a husband and wife have a a domestic issue. You know, family problem. The wife runs to her parents, and she tells the parents everything that happened at home. And the husband, if he doesn't go to mom and dad, he might go to his friends and a cousin of his that is close to him and will open up. Well, when we get put in a situation as such, have we ever thought of running to Jesus and kneeling before him and and asking him, Lord, please help me, reveal to me what shall I do in this situation? Have we? If we haven't, No wonder we have a lot of problems in our life. But there is always good news. If you haven't, you better start from tonight because Jesus will come to your rescue. Ask, you shall be given. Knock, shall be opened to you. Seek, you shall find. Jesus never fails you. So when Nebuchadnezzar put this burden on Daniel, Daniel ran straight to his God. He knelt there and said, Lord, please reveal the dream and explain the dream to me because I will not know. When you rely on God, when you are 100% dependent on God, God will give you wisdom that no one can stand in your way. And then God revealed the dream to, uh, to Daniel. He said, go and tell the king that that statue that he saw, the head of gold, is you, Nebuchadnezzar. That's your kingdom. And all the other kingdoms that will come up to you, they will be lesser and lesser and lesser and lesser lesser than you. You are the head of gold. Then you will be followed by another kingdom, silver, by another kingdom, bronze, by another kingdom, iron, and then the last one, iron, with clay. But there is the stone that's been cut without a man's hand, cut through divine intervention. This stone came and hid that entire statue, abolished it altogether, and this stone became a huge mountain, a rock that covered the entire world. That stone that was cut without a man's hand. Intervention, it was divine intervention, is Jesus Christ, the King of all kings. When Jesus comes in His second coming, the kingdoms of the world shall be de- um, uh, abolished altogether, and He will reign and rule forever and ever. King of kings and Lord of all lords. Our generation, how dependent on God are we? My goodness. I'll tell you a brief history, my beloved, what has been happening to our kids throughout the 20th and till this very moment of the 21st century. You know, when the 20th century came on board, we started talking about, you know, this is the time of revolution. This is the time where knowledge is going you know, on a big explosion we are the most knowledgeable generation of all we we have gained so much knowledge we know so many things in the last 1900 years they had no idea what with what we have in the last 100 years but did you know the 20th and the 21st century that we have just gone into has been the bloodiest century of all centuries what has our knowledge given us absolute destruction absolute self evasion the more we knew the more we slain one another do not be proud that you are a knowledgeable person but be more proud that you are a fearing god person because knowledge my beloved you will gain in your life, but the wisdom that God gives you controls always the knowledge that you have. Wisdom is always above and beyond any knowledge you gain in your life. There are so many successful doctors, but miserable failures as fathers and husbands at home. All the knowledge they gain, being a doctor, did not help them to be successful at home. Because to manage the house, to run that household, you need to be wise, not knowledgeable. And wisdom only God gives, no one else. How do you gain that knowledge? How do you gain that wisdom? By depending on him. Stop saying, I know what I'm doing. I am capable of doing this. This is nothing, it's a piece of cake. I can do it, I'm smart. This will lead you to self-destruction. You need to understand one thing, all your knowledge, all your capacities that you have, it was that God who gave you all this. You should go back and say, Lord, without you, I am absolutely nothing. Everything good that you gave me is from you. Dependency look what happened to our kids when we gained knowledge in the 20th century till this very moment a very brief history my beloved our kids in the 50s they lost their innocence in the 60s our kids lost their authority in the 70s our kids lost their love because they were be given all this knowledge about sex about sex and about sex, they forgot what love is all about. Nowadays, my beloved, it's all about lust. Where is love? The relationship that is holy, the relationship between a man and a woman that God gave and made, it is so precious and so holy, yet we have defiled it because we looked at it in a very wrong, wrong, wrong way. We took it as a lustful thing, It's fulfilling my desires. That's why that true divine love is missing out of that relationship. That's why there are so many problems at home. Because when they first got married, that true love was not there. It was just a personal attraction. They never understood what relationship is all about. Marital relationship. And then you go on to other relationships, friendship. That's why when when we take God out of the equation, everything looks ugly. The true love is out because of our knowledge, because we started defining what love is. Love is when I look into the eyes of this girl at the club, And then my heart goes bum bum, and my brain goes num num. That means I love her. And I'm going to propose to her. And if I don't marry her, I'll kill myself. Well, let me do you the honors, and I'll give you. (laughs) 70s, a very bad time. Evil. Our kids lost the the meaning of love. In the 80s and the 90s our kids lost hope because of so many wars and problems and all these learning of using nuclear weapons countries going against each other threatening that they're gonna press the button and send the rocket to another and blow this whole earth to pieces. We lost that sense of hope our kids are so frightened. And until this moment, you ask someone that just came from the Middle East, do you, do you do you, like, do you love living? He's going to say, what is their good to live for? What is the hope of life for me? There is no hope because my life has been taken away from me with all the threats that is encircling me every day and every night of my life. There is no hope. Why should I live? In the 50s, we lost innocence, in the 60s we lost authority, in the 70s we lost love, in the 80s and the 90s we lost hope, and in the two thousand and into the 21st, 2016, I can say we lost wisdom, no more wisdom. It's like a jungle out there, live the way you like, it's a free country. No one can tell you what to do. You can do whatever you want, brother. Forget about mom and dad. They just come from the Middle East. They're old fashioned people. This is Australia, 21st century. Men, what we know, they will never know it for a million years. No wisdom. That's why everybody's living the way they want. And whatever pleases us, we do. Look around you, what kind of world has it become? A self-destructive world. There's war, problems, spiritual warfare, physical warfare, you name it. In the Middle East, they blow each other. In the West, it's a much worse, much worse battle than the West. In the West, it's a spiritual battle, my beloved. You know, there you can tell who your enemy is, but here you cannot. When you can see your enemy, it's easier to deal with when you cannot see that enemy. yeah, you know, they blow me up there, I'm physically dead, but spiritually I'm alive. But what is really of a great concern to all of us is when my spirit dies, that is hell. Saint Peter wrote two epistles. Epistles. Peter 1 and 2. When he's writing in the first epistle of St. Peter, he's talking about a warfare that comes from outside. And in the second epistle of St. Peter, he's talking about a warfare that comes from inside. You read him. When he's talking about In that epistle about the war that comes from outside, he says, I, Peter, the disciple of Jesus Christ. The disciple of Jesus Christ. When he talks about the war that comes from inside, he says, I, Simon Peter, the servant of Jesus Christ. You know why? This guy's a fisherman. How do you know to write these kind of ways? unless it was God directing you. St. Peter is telling us that when the war is from outside, it's physical. Now since the war is from outside, I am the disciple of Jesus Christ, I'm strong. Since I have Jesus inside of me, I don't care what battles come from outside because I can tackle them and I can overcome them and I can win them. But you know what guys? It is the most dangerous and the only dangerous thing when the war comes from inside, when you go against yourself, that is the danger. Here, I'm not going to say I am the disciple, I am the rock. I am the little servant, Lord Jesus have mercy on me, I am weak, I cannot win with myself, I will kill myself, please Lord, I'm your servant, come to my rescue the first line we need to draw the line of resistance we need to draw the line of dependence i need to be dependent on god and i need to control myself and the third line i need to draw the line of confidence resistance dependence confidence these are principles in life you want to learn how to live your life in a good way humility spirituality faith i need to learn how to be humble i need to look at my heart and see what kind of heart I have, and see how God sees my heart. Stop judging people, stop looking at people. For once, look at your own self and see you are full of errors, my beloved. I'm not being pessimistic, I'm not putting you down, but I am telling you the truth. We need to understand and see where we are heading in order to have a chance to make it at the end. If I look at myself from inside, how many mistakes shall I find? There are so many. Do I really have the time to be preoccupied with other people's issues? Fix yours. And if you have a time, which you want, but if you have a time, then look at other people's mistakes. And don't point the finger. Help them. Help them. Because you are in the same boat. And if the ship sinks, guess what? All of us are going to drown. So stop saying I'm the captain. Man, if the boat goes down, the ocean does not care one bit whether you're a captain or a cleaner or or a chef. You're going to drown, brother. No one is better than the other. But we need to live a life of humility. Look at your heart and look where you where you go wrong. What kind, of, what kind of desires do you have? What kind of ideas and imaginations do you have? The Lord Jesus said it. He said it is not what comes inside of your mouth that defiles you, but what comes out of you that defiles you. Because out of the heart of man comes lust and all the immoralities of life. We need to look at our hearts and then ask Jesus to forgive us. Break this heart, Lord, give me your heart so I can be humble as you are. Spirituality, stop being dependent on materialism. Trust in the word of Jesus Christ that will get you through all the hardships of life. Faith, I had issues in the past, I'm still alive. When I'm gonna have issues in the future, why should I be so lost? Didn't God deliver me back then? Well, He's the same God, and He will do the same. I put my faith in my Jesus that He will deliver me again. Principles draw the line of resistance, draw the line of dependence. Resistance control your appetite, control your hunger, control it. Don't lose it, my beloved. Well, this guy's got about 10 girlfriends. I should do the same. Control your hunger. Dependency. Whatever issue you encounter. Whatever step you want to take forward. Before you take this step, go and pray. Kneel before your Jesus. You've got an exam coming. Go and pray. You want to apply for a job? Go and pray. You want to get married? Go and pray. You want to be a doctor? Go and pray. You want to be a bishop? Go and pray. I remember. I was dying to be a priest. <laughs> That's an Assyrian lifestyle. Back in 2003, I was a a bank manager. Uh, I carried about 22 years of managerial and finance expertise, 22 years of finance and management. And then the time came that I was going to be a priest. I resigned from my work, from my job. I should say. I resigned from my job. And then I could, I could not believe what was really coming my way out of happiness. But the happiness that I was really enjoying, I don't think the whole world was enough place to contain it. I was so happy. I was counting this minute of a second for that hour to come. Two days to go, I was kicked out of the church. Not only about being ordained, but I was kicked out of the church entirely. Two days to go, after resigning from my work, giving up on everything, waiting for that moment to be a priest, I am no longer in the church. I know now that it was not the Lord Jesus uh, I would have had either a heart attack or a stroke. It was, it was so of a humongous shock that I went absolute silent for one week. I did not talk. I did not blink for one week. I was just a block of concrete, of ice. Not that drug ice, but ice. <laughs> And don't take ice, otherwise, I'll ice you one. <laughs> For one week. And then all these mixed emotions and feelings are running, 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 running 24 hours, 24 7 in your head. Like it really shattered me, you know? It really shattered me. I'm maybe not confessing here, and the video is running fine. A few years later, I became a bishop, in the same church that so I was kicked out of, from, and then I got kicked out again. <laughs> I don't know what it is, it wasn't my looks. I got, am not a good-looking or too, too good looking or maybe just too scary or something, I don't know. So I got kicked out again. But did I go through the same phase that I did when I was a few years back younger? No. Cool, bro. Not failures. Not Why? Because I learned one thing. Not I learned it. Jesus told me. My sweetheart. My son. My children. You need to rely on your daddy. Don't do it your way. Let me do it for you. Because the only one that knows everything about you and about life and about the universe, is me because I created everything. I'm on the inside out of everything. I'm on the rules, the, role, uh, the, the, the laws and the regulations and everything about how things work together. So therefore you need to depend on me. Next time you want to be a priest, you better pray to see whether I approve it or not. Don't go and make a big show that, no, unless I'm a priest, I'm going to kill myself. Well, Jesus is going to say, go not do this. Because if I don't want you to be a priest, you cannot do it by force. And it's exactly the same principle with everything else. Who says that you, unless you marry this guy, you're never going to get married? What a joke. And who says that if you don't get this job, you're not going to get an opportunity to get a much better job in the future? What a joke. And who says that if you fail in this exam, you're not going to pass and exceed in the next one? What a joke. And who says that when you fall, it's bad? No. It's all good when you leave it in God's hands. It's all good. You need to trust in him. And he knows what is best for you, when to make you, when to break you, and then when to heal you. He knows. Leave it in his capable hands. Pray about everything. Lord, We want to build a church? I'm going to go and pray and see if it's your will or not. I'm not going to lose it. And if I don't have a church, I'm going to die. I'm going to dis- no, 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 no. Nothing's going to happen to me. Because I have Jesus. I don't need anything else. I don't need a building with bricks and mortar. I need my Lord first and foremost. Then the Lord will build the house. Because unless the Lord builds the house, it is in vain. The builders can build that house. It is in vain. Don't try Pray about everything. And never rush. Only on one occasion you rush. You run for your life. When it comes to Jesus Christ, don't ever delay. Run for Him. Don't think about shall I read the Bible or not. Don't think about shall I go to church or not. Don't think about, shall I pray, shall I fast, shall I send some money to someone who's starving in Africa. Don't think about these things, you do on the spot. But when it comes about what's gonna happen to me tomorrow, that's cool. Lord, you are the Lord of today and tomorrow, and forever and ever. I leave everything in your capable hands, Tomorrow is just going to be another sun, sunny day, beautiful night, and I'll be cruising, even if I'm sick, it's all good. The last line is you draw the line of confidence. You know what? Daniel was given the choice to choose between either his God or, his, or the king. He said, I will choose my God over the king. The king can kill me, the king can throw me into the den of the, of the lions, but you know what? I have my confidence in my God that he's going to deliver me from everything the king is going to bring my way. And he was thrown into the den of the lions. And the other brothers, the friends of his and, and, and Shidra, They were thrown into the inferno, into the fire. But Jesus was there with them, sprinkling water over them so the fire would not even touch their clothes. And then Daniel was thrown into the dead of lions, hungry lions. And he prayed, the Lord sent an angel, shut the mouth of the lion. He said, you do not touch my servant. You be quiet lions, shut your mouth. You see, when he drew the line of confidence in his God, the line got crossed. L-I-N-E, right? That's the line. The line got crossed, but guess what? Not by Daniel, but by three very, very, very big kings of the Middle East. They crossed the line to be with Daniel. One was Nebuchadnezzar, two was Darius, And the third king was Sirius, or Cyrus, Cyrus, sorry. Nebuchadnezzar, Darius, and Cyrus. These three kings, when they saw this guy standing firm, Abiding and, and, and living the principles and the values of his faith, of his origin, of his whatever makes him Daniel. He stood by it. He never denied it. He never sold it for no penny. When they saw him living this kind of a precious lifestyle, they crossed the line to him. They said, You know what? This is beautiful. Are you going to be that person? When people see you, they cross over to you and say, "Take me to your God." Or are we going to be the people that, when they see us, they say, "Bad vibes, brother, bad vibes." Two people very famous died in the 21st in the 20th century. I'll finish off on this. This person said to stop into the world stage. So good looking, beautiful, very beautiful, stunning, very smart, doing beautiful things in life. Then again, her life was taken away in an accident just like that. Princess Diana, she lost it all. lost her own. Another person surfaced up. So weak. So lonely. (coughs) Shaking. You blow her, she'll fall. In the streets of Calcutta. In the streets of Calcutta, India. Mother Teresa. The world looked at her. They said, what a loss. The world looked at their and they said, what a gain. Wow, princess, doing all these wonderful things. Going after someone that is not of Jesus Christ. And then, looking at Mother Teresa, and they said, what a loss. Why would you live like that, looking after lepers in the streets of Calcutta? Living so poorly. When she passed away, she gained everything, Mother Teresa. Diana, when she died, she lost everything. One day, Mother Teresa was invited to give a talk, I think it was in Michigan. Washington, sorry, Washington, Mr. Clinton was sitting, listening to Mother Teresa talking in Washington, and then when she finished her talk, one of the journalists turned to President Clinton and he said, what do you say about what, Ma- what, what Mother Teresa said? Because apparently Mother Teresa, whatever she said, everything she said was against what Mr. Clinton was thinking. Everything was the opposite To the president of the of the United States of America So this journalist said the to the president President Clinton. What are you gonna say? What do you think about what she said? Mr. President He said you cannot say anything to a life that has been lived so beautifully You cannot go against and say nothing to a life that was lived so beautifully. What are you going to say to Mother Teresa? She lived a life so precious in the Lord that no one can point the finger at you. And even if you talk against their will, being the president of the most powerful country in the world, yet he could not get up and tell her, be quiet, or enough. He couldn't. She was too powerful for praying. Because the life she lived, she lived it with drawing the line of resistance, drawing the line of dependence on God, and drawing the line of confidence in her God, not in the president. That's why she feared no one, she cared. About nothing but she cared for the homeless and the lepers of Calcutta and the world now. What can I say to a life that was lived so beautifully? Can we leave this kind of legacy behind us when we go? My beloved don't imitate what others are doing in this 21st century the end of times hold on to what you have you're a christian hold on to those values hold on to those principles hold on to your christ hold on to where you came from don't forget who you are and what you are and what kind of price is being paid for your well-being and salvation don't ever forget what Jesus has done for you. Don't lose track of this, hold on to your Jesus, and be proud that you are a Christian, so that when other people look at you, they'll say the same thing. I cannot say anything about a life that was lived so beautiful. But if I just go and do whatever under the sun, what am I leaving behind? What am I teaching other people around me? What kind of example am I leading and am I showing? Watch the way you dress. Watch the way you talk. Watch the way you walk. To all the girls here, I love you today. You do not need to reveal your body to no one for you to feel and look beautiful. You are the temple of Jesus Christ. Keep it holy. Keep it holy. Let them make fun of me. Let them say she's wearing a long skirt. Tell her Bishop Murray wears one. <laughs> <laughs> and boys, I want you to put 120 earrings around my ears and nose and tongue and lips and, and my brows everywhere. And put tattoos everywhere and I say, yo, ah. Oh. Sometimes I see these boys and girls, they're wearing these jeans and it's all ripped. Very it's brand new. And it's extremely expensive. But it's ripped. But there's one thing. There. Yeah. We need to understand one thing. We need to understand one thing. We belong to Jesus Christ. Draw that line. Don't let anyone cross it. We belong to Jesus Christ. Boys, behave. When you want to meet a girl, you meet her on the on the thinking that you're going to marry her one day. It's not about fun. There is no such thing as fun, because you will end up very sorry later on. So many relationships end up in a very sad outcome because the start was very wrong. I always remember this. This girl came running. I always mention. I hope she is doing well. Crying, she was gushing her teeth. The tears were coming down like rivers. Hello! Oh no. What's wrong? My boyfriend just left me. How long were you in a relationship? Four years. How old are you now? Sixteen. Where's the dummy? Can I have some milk? <laughs> You are a (laughs) baby. Like the Dracula. Habibi, you are a (laughs) baby. Guys, always remember this. That we need our Lord Jesus in our life and we cannot manage without Him. Draw the line of resistance. Don't be tempted. Draw the line of dependence. Depend on God. Pray about everything. And draw the line of confidence. Put your confidence in your God, don't put it in anyone else. Don't rely on people more than your Jesus because you will be disappointed. Disappointment is the killer of everything good. I'll condition about this. Alright, so, so not even ten o'clock, you're lying. if I ask someone, what is the what is the opposite or the enemy of love? they will normally say hatred, yeah? The enemy of love, automatically it will go to their end, it's hatred. Actually it's not. The enemy of love is not hatred at all. Or hate is not against love, no it's not. There is something much more powerful than that and that is the true enemy of love. What is the enemy of hatred is changing direction. Because when you hate something, and I'm not gonna say hate someone because you should not be hating anyone, but let's say you are hating someone or something. When you hate that something, you're gonna veer off and you're gonna walk away in the opposite direction. You can't stand seeing that thing. So what are you gonna do? You're gonna avoid that thing. So what is the enemy of hatred? Changing direction. What is the enemy of love? Disappointment. Disappointment. You know when you put all your hope, all your trust, and all your love on a person, and then they disappoint you. The loneliest, the loneliest moment in anyone's life, listen to this, the loneliest moment in anyone's life that when you thought that you had just done what is the most pleasurable thing in life and then you were disappointed with it. That is the loneliest moment of anyone's life. When you thought that you have just done the most pleasurable thing in your life and then you got disappointed. When you thought that this is the one, that this person is the one and only, and what I just got now, this is what I really want, nothing else. When you put anyone or anything before your Jesus, rest assured you will be disappointed at the end. And when you are disappointed, you become the loneliest person ever. Love, disappointment, destroys every confidence in you destroys every love, every trust, every nice, beautiful thing in you, It destroys it. Therefore, put your confidence in Jesus Christ. You will never be disappointed. So, when you're not disappointed, you are self-confident. Self-confidence is vital to survive. There's a difference between loving myself And having confidence in myself. Draw the line of resistance, draw the line of dependence, draw the line of confidence. Put your hope in the Lord Jesus and pray about everything. Ask him to help you, to guide you, to show you the way, because without him there is no other way to survive. There is no other way. We need you Lord Jesus. We are begging you to be with us Lord. We are praying that you show us the way. Enlighten our path, Enlighten our intellect. Enlighten our hearts. Enlighten our souls. Enlighten our spirits. Give us wisdom. Give us insight to your word which is the true revelation of the divine God. Give us the insight to you my Lord Jesus. Let me feel you. Let me hear you. Let me see you. Let me perceive you my Lord. I want to be another Christ on earth. Make me your image and your likeness on this earth so that when people see me, they cross the line to me and glorify you, who art in heaven, my holy father. Jesus is everything that we ever need. Amen. <coughs> God bless you guys. Let's stand for the church. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me so love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand. To be loved as to love, for it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, it is in dying that we are born again to attend life. Amen. And the Lord Jesus bless you, guide you, and protect you, now and forevermore.